The future belongs to those who see the possibilities before they become obvious. Welcome to Fireside Chats Without the Fires with Neil Toff and Paul Catherell. Good Sunday, everybody. This is the Sunday, April 19th edition of Fireside Chats Without the Fires. Everything contact center and call center and customer care related. This is Neil Toff, and I'm pleased to have my weekly sidekick with me and partner in this <laughs> and host, co-host, Paul Cathedral. Paul, welcome. How are you doing? Happy Sunday, everyone. Happy Sunday. We are back with a really awesome updated edition of our weekly podcast. We're going to have a sensational guest here, Epi Titong from VXI. Epi is joining us as well from the Philippines. We're going to talk about the Philippines. We're going to talk about Nearshore. We're going to talk about Asia. We're going to talk about what it's like in the geographies that service the United States and U.S. consumer customers and the whole BPO and customer care world. Epi, are you with us? Give us a quick hello. Hello, everybody. Tell us about you, Epi. For those that don't know and may not be familiar with you and with VXI, give us a 30,000-foot view about you. Sure. Hello. My name is Epi Kitong. I work for a company called VXI Global Solutions. We are headquartered in Los Angeles, but have a large presence in the Philippines. I oversee overall operations for the Philippines, approximately about 20,000 employees, about 40,000 employees globally, a big presence in North America and in China and in what I would consider near shore locations like Jamaica and Guatemala. And I've been with the organization for the last 10 years. I have been working in the industry for the last 18. And I'm glad to join you guys. had a chance to listen to some of your earlier episodes. Really good stuff. And so I feel lucky to be part of today's show. It's great to have you. So I got to say, Epi and I are both coming from the BPO world or the vendor world. I kind of feel like we should have a a virtual arm wrestle or a boxing match or something like that. <laughs> two vendors going at it. But I will say this, and this is not a paid advertisement, but as competitors in the space, the VXI name is very strong. We've knocked up against you guys a little bit. We've shared a client or two. And as I indicated before, the VXI brand in the eyes of those shared clients we've had, you guys walk on water. So it's a real pleasure to have you. And we're going to hear some really, really good stories, experiences, points of view, et cetera. So it's really, thank you for joining us. Yeah, it's interesting times. Glad to be here. Absolutely. Paul, I'm just going to jump into it. So I think for especially the U.S. audience or really anyone that has seats and has operations in the Philippines, this is a really unique time. Companies are concerned. Is the Philippines viable? Is nearshore viable? Is onshore viable? Where am I going to have the best outcome for my consumers? Where am I going to have availability? Where am I going to have continuity? I want to make sure that my customers that are calling in, chatting in, emailing in, needing to have an interaction with my brand, how am I going to do the best to make sure that those interactions are not interrupted? The Philippines has had such incredible growth and attention over the last bunches of years. I wanted to cite a report that was just recently published. It's the 2020 Site Selection Group Call Center Location Report. By the way, if you don't know Site Selection Group, sensational group, King White does an amazing job. They produce all types of reports for all kinds of industries. I follow, of course, the stuff that they put out on BPO and Contact Center. This recent report was published literally about two weeks ago. It's available for free download. I certainly encourage you to go on LinkedIn or their website. You can download it for free. I think all it costs you is leaving your name and your email address. It's nothing more than that. But the point of me mentioning this is that if you look at the number of contact center jobs created, they break it down across geography, number of sites expanded, and they talk about the specific growth and where it's broken down. I see that 
other than the U.S., the Philippines is just crushing the market. Number of jobs created in 2019, over 58,000 contact center jobs were created in the U.S. The next closest geography was the Philippines with 44,000. You think about it, the U.S. is massive geography. You would think that there are larger countries out there that would compete, and none of them are even close. The only one that's close is the Philippines with 44,000 jobs. Similarly, the number of sites opened or expanded, 164 in the U.S., 28 in the Philippines. You said 28 compared to 164. It may sound like a small number, but the entire Latin American region only had 29. Philippines, one single country, one single geography had 28 coming in second, and all the rest are tiny in comparison. And again, this is from the Site Selection Group's 2020 Call Center Location Trend Report that you can get for a free download. If you look at a few pages down, one last thing that I'll kind of call out here, there's a page called The Philippines Dominates Offshore Growth But Possibly Slowing. But what's amazing to look at is it breaks down all of the different companies that are in the Philippines, both BPOs and in-house. And the number of jobs created by single providers, you look at Alorica, 9,000 jobs. Icor, 5,000 jobs. Uh, I got to tell you, VXI is on here twice, 2,000 seats in Kazan City and 1,000 seats in Davao. And then there's some other BPOs, of course, that are mentioned as well. I mean, Epi, give us a little flavor. What's going on here? This continues to be explosive growth. Tell us about the Philippines for those of us that don't really have much knowledge other than kind of what we read here. First of all, the report is understated. Just for some perspective, 2018 had about the last count, it was like 1.4 million individuals employed in this industry in the Philippines. And out of a population of 100 million, that's a pretty significant portion of employment. From 2018, about a $23 billion industry in the Philippines, projected to be about $38 billion in 2022. It represents the second highest GDP contributor behind overseas remittances. It's a real viable career option in the Philippines. I mean, I don't think that there's another geography like the Philippines where there's an absolute language advantage compared to other geographies. There's a cost advantage as well. And the common narrative in the beginning when this industry was first booming in the early 2000s, 2002, 2003 was, oh, you know, let's go to the Philippines. Let's get some very transactional entry-level work there because it's cheaper. But I think that that narrative has evolved where the quality of the delivery has improved. I've benefited from that growth. We've created over time some real industry and domain expertise in running this business. And I think that the recent results have shown that this is a viable location, not just from a cost advantage, but from a quality standpoint. So I think other geographies traditionally that we've seen this work come out of like in India or maybe near shore out of Latin America is challenged by just those attributes where it's great service and it's a great cost benefit. So I think that that's why this current pandemic has been challenging, not only for my industry, but for the Philippines as a whole. The Philippines as a whole has been a growing economy. And obviously, these sets of challenges, just to touch on your earlier question, what does the crystal ball look like in the Philippines? How is this going to impact us? What's it going to look like in the next two to three months? I don't think that there's a geography that's insulated from other than Iceland or Taiwan. (laughs) I don't think there's a geography 
really insulated from this pandemic. So I think everyone's feeling the pain, everyone's feeling the challenges of quarantine and isolation and social distancing. I think that the geography and the companies that figure out a pretty quick solution to adapt, not just from a work at home standpoint, but how to care for in-house operations are the ones that are going to ultimately get out of this better, maybe, and less hurt. Sure. Tell us specifically what's been going on there, because you always hear rumors, especially those of us that compete from nearshore. We always talk about, oh, you know, the Philippines are shutting down, doomsday finally for those guys. And I think when you peel back the onion, you find out, mm, yeah, there's some companies that might have been in a little bit of trouble, but you hear a lot of stuff. Are people working from home? Are they still going to the massive sites? Or has there actually been shut down? Tell us kind of, again, from the street, what's going on? What does it look like? I think it's been a mix. I think that a majority of the companies have reacted well. Two, three months ago, no one was really talking about work at home as a viable solution. Not just because it was it viable or could we be successful to deploy work at home solutions. I think everyone has had to accelerate their learning and their growth and their adaptation of work at home. And the Philippines has been no different. So I think the government, as restrictive as it has been with the quarantine protocols, has given some good leeway and some good wiggle room for my industry to operate in. They've given us a good amount of time to be able to deploy work at home, a good amount of time to be able to house our employees in secure and nearby locations. So it's been a mix. And it's hard to discount the work on site or these massive sites operations as long as it's done properly. I think that a lot of companies, whether or not they've offered hazard pay, which is a good premium on salaries for agents, or whether or not they've offered good and decent accommodations where the health of the employees are looked after. So it's always going to be a mix. A lot of companies also tried to deploy work at home and quite successfully. And it's only time is going to tell if infrastructure is going to hold from a technology standpoint, but also time is going to tell if the government has to be able to support this new transition of work at home with laws that will secure that environment and that will allow companies and industries like myself to be able to regulate work at home conditions. Paul, what are you seeing? Because you're also there. You know what the industry is like. Because it's such a large market. Are you seeing the same thing? A mix, some work from home, some work reporting to site, a little bit of shutdown. What's your take on it? Yeah, so Effie's right in terms of his update. He said, I'm seeing the same thing. The lines of business or the enterprises that I'm more exposed to, though, there hasn't been a dramatic shift away from the bricks and mortar work into a more of a work from home scenario. And that in itself has caused, I don't know if caused is the right word, but it's presented different challenges in terms of managing agent performance and also the security, particularly if you're running a line of business that has to take customer payments and you've got a PCI compliant risk there. That's the shift that I've seen. And I would say probably the majority of businesses that I've been exposed to at least a higher percentage now have agents working from home. So yeah, I'd agree with that. But I think certainly from my experience at the moment, it's been more working from home. I can only speak to about myself. Obviously, we don't have a site in the Philippines. Our sites are in the DR in Mexico. And right now, 100% of our agents are working from home. So, yeah, that's how we've seen it now. I have got a question for Epi. Epi, in terms of like managing agent performance, 
markets, but also on the security edge. How have you addressed that issue and how have you gone around giving the client the level of comfort that you're not going to have any fraud issues? And then how have you maintained agent engagement with X amount of your agents working from home? Have you come across unique challenges in there? Have you had to change by account or has it been blanket approach that's worked for everybody? I don't think a blanket approach. That's a really good question, Paul. I don't think a blanket approach is going to work on this one. And I think that that's why I'm still kind of in favor of a multi-tiered solution between work at home and brick and mortar because take, for example, customer A that wants to send calls to work at home and there's a transaction that processes payments. There are technology solutions out there that will allow the transaction to go through without the agent on the other end getting exposed to any of that payment information. That obviously is a top priority. We want to be able to make sure that the environment is secure, not only for the customers, but for our agents as well. We want to limit that exposure. There are different scenarios where if you're supposed to process a payment or any type of sales transaction that may expose the agent to sensitive information that they transfer that out to another agent that's a brick and mortar. There's multiple solutions and it's fluid. Obviously, the situation is fluid and you want to be able to meet capacity, meet demand, because that's the game right now is trying to get everyone into get as much answer phone calls as much as possible, but at the same time, do it in a safe and secure environment. And I think that if you do it with a certain amount of caution and a certain amount of like, take a step back and say, what are the solutions that are available to me? Are there tools that will allow me to key in this information through IVR where the, our agent will be exposed to it? That is absolutely a preference. I think at a smaller scale, and this is not to throw shade at smaller scale operations, I think at a smaller scale operations, you know, in the 500 to 1,000 heads might be possible to deliver an all work at home solution. But for the massive players like 20, 40, 60, 80,000 employees in the Philippines, you're going to have to do a multi-tiered solution. That's one aspect of it is the security aspect of it. And then when you start listening into calls and the quality of just the interaction, there's roosters and dogs and babies crying <laughs> and everyone's had to like scramble that I understand, you know, in the first two, three weeks, everyone's had to scramble for capacity, but there is this winter is going to be over at some point and decisions that were made during this winter are going to come back and people are going to like, why did we make these decisions? So I think it's challenging, man. It's a balancing act, really. It's trying to get as much capacity in, but trying to do it in a way where risk is mitigated. With the focus and scrutiny on China, particularly here in the US, we think of China, we kind of think as Asia as one big monolith. It's all China. Of course, <laughs> it's not. It's China. It's Philippines. We're not always the most cultured and don't always understand geographies and cultures and languages very well. But the region is not all China, of course, but it's dominated by China. And I can envision a scenario in this BPO world that because of fear of China and what's happened health-wise and security-wise, U.S. enterprises at least might begin to tighten the ability to work and put butts in seats into the region. Do you think that that's a legitimate fear? And if so, you have so many geographies in your portfolio. Have you guys talked about it? What does it look like? What's China look like? You think about bringing on other geographies within the region, or you'd also mentioned, of course, nearshore, and you've got some footprint in two countries in the region. What's your kind of global outlook? 
I think like for the BPO space, China is for China. And what I mean by that is the work that's done out of China is for the China market. So I don't think that there's going to be any issues with growth there or with sustainability there. The non-BPO work that comes out of China, like manufacturing and everything else, I think that there's some real risk there. I think that there might be some appetite from organizations to start to look at other geographies to operate in. I'm definitely not a domain expert there. I can definitely talk about BPO for China, and it's really China for China. So I don't think that they're going to be impacted. I think that the crunch that they're going to feel are in other industries like manufacturing and supply chain. Sure. Do you think India will start to come back? Because India certainly ceded a ton of ground to Philippines going back within the last 10 years. Yeah. Um, do you see any of that work going back to India? I think chat. Some organizations have migrated away from voice towards chat. Some have moved from chat to voice. I think that the more transactional chat, email, back office driven, definitely India is a viable option. Not only from a cost standpoint, but from an efficiency, domain expertise. These guys have been doing it much longer than we have. But I think if you're just talking about voice and higher tiered work where there's some sort of consultation or some sort of consultative selling, India's not going to be able to compete with the Philippines. Not only because of accents, one thing, no one really cares about the accents, but just the cultural affinity and the ability to create some sort of connection just historically hasn't been there. That's, of course, my opinion. There's thousands of your podcast listeners probably like making placards of myself and (laughs) burning me at the stake. How dare you! <laughs> no, I think what you say definitely makes some sense. Fortunately or unfortunately, for better or worse, whatever it is, I think that certainly the U.S. consumer has had backlash in general terms, very general terms, to India, to accent and to cultural differences of what a, an experience is like on a phone call. You're right that those limitations are much less perceived in a chat and an email. And so that's why those are services and channels that are more appropriate, perhaps, for India, at least nowadays. What do you think about Nearshore? So you do have a nearshore footprint. Yeah. Do you think nearshore will continue to grow as well? Because it is growing. It's Absolutely. not growing at the size and scale that Philippines has until recently, but it certainly is growing. What's your outlook on nearshore? Very, very bullish. If there's an absolute, I don't want to say threat, but an absolute competitor to the Philippines' foothold other than the U.S. is nearshore. Locations like Jamaica, Guatemala, Colombia, absolute viable contenders, not only from a language standpoint, but even from an English standpoint. And just geography-wise, the ability for the U.S. market to get there is much easier. We've found a lot of success in our nearshore locations. Jamaica, fortunately, has not been as heavily impacted as this scenario has been. And obviously, tourism is the number one driver of revenue generation there. And that's hurting, obviously, with people not traveling. So Industries like the call center industry is becoming a viable option in those locations. So absolutely bullish outlook on Nearshore. And the ones that we compete with head-to-head today, just on very public scorecards, seem to be coming more and more from Nearshore locations. So they're definitely giving us a run for our money. Sure. From a Nearshore provider, when we get compared or asked, well, we get the spiel of, well, we currently operate in the Philippines. And the standard response to those frequently asked comments are, well, 
yeah, but why would you want to travel 18 yeah. hours just to get to the Philippines? Yeah. Why would you want to deal with the time zone changes? Why would you want to deal with the cultural differences? Why would you want to deal with stiff robotic agents when you can deal with more charismatic, warm or more personable agents? All of us who sell nearshore solutions, we've got all the arguments and counter arguments sure. down about the Philippines. But in the end, it's still a very tough, well-entrenched geography. Once a decision has been made to operate in the Philippines, it's really hard to uproot that from what we've seen because of all the things you talked about earlier. I honestly think that there's going to be more opportunities for near shore just across that region, just with the current challenges with domestic sites in the U.S. today that might not necessarily be able to pivot really quickly to the Philippines. If you're trying to launch something new out of the U.S. to the Philippines, some project planning, you're going to have to send boots on the ground. That might not be as viable as it used to be two, three months ago for the foreseeable future, maybe the next three, four months, but Nearshore might be a little bit more of an easier destination to get to. So my crystal ball tells me that there's definitely going to be some opportunities in Nearshore that those guys are going to give us a good run for our money. Final question, I think, for both Paul and you, Epi. We hear a lot about politics, and you alluded earlier to government, but in the headlines, if you even read about the Philippines, you have, I think, a pretty flamboyant, perhaps, or uh, very expressive leader in, as your president. He is that, um, yes. He's not perceived as the most friendly to the U.S. And it seems like from what I know, the little bit that I know, I don't think he really cares. And does that have any impact on both of your businesses? Paul, you're an expat living in the Philippines. You are a Filipino, I think, almost at heart. You love living there. <laughs> Epi, your company has tremendous operations, obviously, there. Politically, does this alter your thoughts and long-term view on the region, or is it really just he's going to be the president of turn, and at some point, things will evolve away from that? I'll go first, mate, then I'll hand over to you. So it's not changed my opinion at all, mate, to be honest with you. I know that when he did come into power, there was an initial knee-jerk reaction, particularly from U.S. companies and, surprisingly, from Australian companies as well, where they wanted to move their operations out of here. But after that died down, I've not seen any change. For me, no change. As you said, Neil, I think he's the president for the foreseeable future, and then there'll be a change, you know, as and when is required. But no issues from my end at the moment. But I'm probably not the best person to ask. Epi's far more versed in these type of things than me. Mr. Titong. I think while the president has been, I don't know if flamboyant is the right adjective. I think he's been a storyteller and he has continued to stand on his narrative of I'm the strong man of the Philippines and I'm going to help lead you through this and I'm going to rule with an iron fist. I think that that narrative when he addresses the nation is really to show strength and kind of galvanize the people and kind of like rally the people together. But his policies business-wise have been fair and has given my industry the opportunity to deploy where we can. I think he's surrounded by really smart individuals in his cabinet and some policymakers between the secretary of the Department of Trade and Industry or the secretary of Labor or the governor of the BSP, which is the Banco Central ng Pilipinas, even through his cabinet secretary, which has really received a lot of praise, the policies that they've rolled out for businesses have been fair and have allowed us to deploy as much as we can through these challenging times. 
you know, a lot of the choices that he made wasn't going to be popular. He shut down a lot of mm-hmm. industries in a short period of time, but a lot of that resulted to where we are. We're in an extended quarantine period. I don't think that anyone is picketing in the streets and rallying and crying murder. And I think that despite his narrative, which has always been seen as like, oh, here we go again. Or it's like, what's the crazy thing he's going to say has moved towards his policies are really fair business-wise. Cool. Perfect. So Epi, this is our session. We will let you go back to your <laughs> Sunday entertainment, Sunday night entertainment. Remember, it's Sunday morning over here in sunny South Florida, but it's Sunday evening, probably Sunday night over where you are. I hope you continue to have a joyous celebration on your Sunday night. You've been a rock star. You've been a gentleman. Yeah. Thank you for sharing your knowledge with us. It's great to hear someone who's literally got the boots on the ground and dispelling rumors, telling the truth, speaking to us about what's taking place over there. Thank you so much for joining us. You were sensational. One final note, just as a reminder, this is not a paid advertisement. Check out the Site Selection Group's report. Their 2020 call center report is what it's called. Call center location trend report, 2020, free download. This is Neil Toth wrapping it up. Paul, kick us off with a final goodbye to the audience and listeners on this Sunday. (laughs) I'll do my best. Effie, I just really want to echo what Neil says. Neil, I've been lucky enough, fortunate enough to know Effie for the best part of 10, maybe 15 years. He is a rock star from a personal friend. I've never heard him or I've never had the exposure or the privilege to hear him talk about his work as eloquently as, as he's done today. So my appreciation and my awe of Epi is quadruple in the space of today's call. So Epi, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, my friend. I wish you all the best. And hopefully soon we'll be able to have a couple of beers together, maybe 12 bottles, right? Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. And when you guys need a comedy host, hit me up. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Cheers, buddy. Thank You're you, great, Epi. Thank you so much. Okay. Paul, thank you. Okay. Audience, thank you. Thanks for joining us. Loved having you. Please send us comments, feedback, thoughts. And once again, a big thank you to Epi Titong. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. This has been another episode of Fireside Chats Without the Fires with Neil Toff and Paul Cathro. Follow Neil and Paul on Twitter at Neil Toff and at PaulCat72. Podcast feedback and topic suggestions are always welcome. Thank you for listening.